This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. This is the end, uh, the final sermon series on uh, uh, shameless audacity, right? Shameless audacity is that posture that we have when we go to the Lord in prayer. And we've talked a lot about prayer this summer. And my hope is that you've been encouraged in your own prayer life. And right, we focused on the two different aspects of prayer. One is that uh, cultivation of intimacy with the Father. We can grow in our relationship with God. We can know him and he knows us. And we feel connected to God, to the Holy Spirit. We know more about who Jesus is and his love for us as we contemplate this aspect of intimacy with prayer. And then we've also talked a lot about intercession, right? this other component where we're asking God to do in the world uh, what is already in heaven. Uh, right, that, that God's kingdom would come through justice, through peace, through hope, through reconciled relationships, through, through people engaging and serving and loving. And sometimes one of us may, may be more focused on the, inter, uh, the intimacy component of prayer, and you need to grow in the intercession component of prayer. And that's been one of the challenges I've, I've offered to you. Maybe you're more of an intercessor, and you need to grow into intimacy peace. But whatever it is, the, the goal of this has been for us to become a praying congregation, uh, the kind of community of people. As individuals, we pray earnestly. We have dedicated specific times of prayer. And then that, the overflow of that specific time of prayer leads to just ongoing prayer as we go about our day and in the task that God has given to us to serve and love him. But then collectively, as we are all praying more, we're listening to God and we're hearing from him. And we're discerning what's the next thing for us to do. What's the, what's the right way to understand who we are in light of what he is communicating to us because of what we're communicating to him. So my hope is that that's happened for you this summer in a new way. And so I just want to continue to leverage that prayer uh, to encourage you to, to keep praying, to keep praying. And so we finished this series with uh, one of my favorite passages on prayer. It's Mark chapter 11 verses 12 through 25. So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to it to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything to the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, 
Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who also is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this testimony about uh, the kingdom, about what prayer is and means to Jesus. May it resonate with us, not only that we would learn something about what Jesus thinks, but that we would then respond in obedience to do something as a result of our time with you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I actually preached on a parallel passage uh, of this passage for Palm Sunday. And normally on Palm Sunday, we spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus' entry into the city. Uh, But what happens after Jesus enters into the city before his crucifixion uh, is this this account here. He goes into the temple, and it's called uh, the the temple cleansing. It's it's, uh, this occasion is referred to a number of times in the Gospels, and, and we know that Jesus comes in, and he does the unexpected for us, right? Now, now we've heard this story before, so we understand and know what Jesus is doing, but at the time, it's, it's kind of a shocking thing, because we've seen Jesus so many times as this gentle and lowly uh, person, and he is that. We see him welcoming uh, children, and, and just being, you know, just a sweet and kind guy, But then all of a sudden he enters into the temple and he's flipping over the tables. He is driving people out. Imagine the scene, right? This is a big festival. It's a big uh, celebration. There's people all over the place. And the normal rhythm of what happens is being completely upset by Jesus as he comes in in a fury. And it's not consistent with what we know about Jesus because he is such a patient and kind person. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what is making Jesus so mad? Why is it that he's so angry? Like if you've ever known someone who never loses their cool, then all of a sudden explodes in anger. It's like a a huge mountain that is just sitting there dormant and then all of a sudden explodes as a volcano. You didn't even see it coming. That's Jesus in this situation. Now, if we really knew Jesus, that we would anticipate this kind of event that could take place. Well, Jesus is really upset because of the money changers. When people would come to, to worship, one of the things that they would do is they would bring a sacrificial offering. And depending on their level of income, they might have anything from a pigeon uh, to something, a a more significant animal, to make a sacrifice to honor God. Well, people would come from all uh, all over the area, and they would have different animals, and they would come in, and sometimes they didn't have an animal with them, and so they had to bring money. But there was only a certain kind of coin that was acceptable to make this transaction if you needed to buy an animal to sacrifice. And so obviously people would have to do an exchange. You know, one of the things that, that we do when we go down to Honduras is we, we uh, bring out some uh, American dollars and then they make exchange. And there's these guys at the airport with, with wads of money. And you're watching that exchange take place and you're like, I have no idea if we're totally getting ripped off or not because I don't understand how to count that money. And you're trying to do the calculations in your head. We've worked with folks so long, we know who to talk to. But it's that feeling of, am I getting ripped off? Have you ever ridden in a taxi? And then you know the feeling. Like, why does it keep going that fast? 
And so people would come to make the exchange and they would, and, and, the, and the money changers were taking advantage of the earnestness of the people because they needed to make a sacrifice and what the money changers would do would charge these exorbitant fees. And so the people who were uh, bringing an offering, and some people had an offering, but what they would do also is to say, oh, well, I'm sorry, but that offering is not the right kind. So, but you know, I have an offering that you can buy and I'll make a special deal for you. And notice that the, uh, the, the, the offering that is named is pigeons. Right? That's one of the lowest kinds of offerings that a person can make, which gives us the idea that these people largely are preying on the poor. They're, they're uh, leveraging the earnestness of the worshipers and their passion and their honest desire to bring something to the Lord and using that leverage, using that earnest desire to cheat them and to steal from them in the space where God is to be worshipped. Well, so when we get that picture, we realize, wow, no wonder Jesus is upset because that resonates with us. People taking advantage of someone who doesn't know. Right? That really resonates with us. But Jesus also says something else to us about why he's so upset. Because he says, this house that is to be a house of all nations... It's a house of prayer. You have made a den of robbers. So here in the place where God's people are to be praying earnestly, to be going before the Lord, seeking God's face, seeking his intimacy and connection and praying that his kingdom would come, it's now become just a free-for-all where people are just making money. And not only that, because Jesus is quoting this verse from Isaiah that says, my house is to be a house of all nations. They've restricted access for people. Now we understand in one sense why they've restricted access because the Jews have been told they're called to be a separate people. But we know that the kingdom is for all people, not just for people like us. And Jesus is very upset because what is going on is it's a hindrance to the people who are trying to honestly, earnestly worship God. And people, and Jesus wants to see people from every tongue and tribe and nation have an opportunity to come and be into his presence and to be reconciled to the God of the universe. And when other people create spaces or roadblocks or hindrances to anyone coming to worship God, you can see why Jesus is upset. Because Jesus knows that God is the most worthy and worthwhile being in all of the universe. And that it's good and right for people of every tongue and tribe and nation to worship him in glory. It's the best thing for us when we know who God is. And so if we're doing, if I'm doing anything that hinders someone else from worshiping God, it makes Jesus really, really upset. It makes Jesus really, really upset. So I have to ask myself this question as I'm reading through this passage. Is there anything that I'm doing that is hindering a person who's different from me from worshiping Jesus? Have I created a system or I contributing to a system that blocks people from access to God because I'm insistent upon my language, my culture, my socioeconomic status, Am I doing anything that would hinder another person from accessing the God of the universe? And Jesus shares with us 
before and after this passage about the cleansing of the temple, as it's called, is this illustration of a fig tree. It's kind of weird because you have two stories about the fig tree, but we know that when the Bible uh, writers would put together their account of their story, they do things on purpose. And so we're asked to ask ourselves the question with Mark, and why did Mark give an example of the fig tree, right? What does he say about the fig tree? They first are coming uh, to it. He says, they came from Bethany. Jesus was hungry, and he saw a fig tree, but he went to the fig tree, and there was nothing on it. And he said to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then we have this story about the temple cleansing with all that that entails, right? It's not a house of prayer anymore. It's a place that's hindering the worship of all peoples. It's a place of injustice because the people who are there simply want what they want to get what's best for them to make their money. And then we have the story about the fig tree again. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus is probably like, way to go, Peter. You remembered and you noticed, right? And he says to them, have faith in God. So I, I think when we think about this uh, story of the fig tree, it, it's an example of the people of God who have not been faithful to be a praying people. The fig tree is a picture of those who would say, worship is really about me. It's about me liking how worship goes instead of worship being about honoring God and glorifying Him. It's about the people of God being so caught up in their way of thinking and their own community that they've neglected the people who are around them who are searching, the people who might be open to God if only someone loved them into the kingdom with their words and their actions. And what happens to the people of God when they become inwardly focused and more concerned about having things done their way is that they begin to wither and die like the fig tree. It's a picture of an ingrown community of faith that has said, let's just do what's good for us and let's not be so concerned about those other people, whoever they are. Jesus says that fig tree is cursed. That tree will never grow. And so what do we say? What do we do? Because we recognize that there's a sense in which all those things are true about us because we, we come into worship or we, we go about our faith a certain way that we're used to, that feels comfortable for us. And, and there's nothing wrong with speaking a common language, right? If I came up and I started speaking a German to you, it would be difficult to follow the sermon. So we all have agreed on language. We're going to do English at Woodland. We also have a liturgy that feels comfortable to us, and we have songs that we know. And that's good because those songs resonate with us. They remind us that our faith has been passed down to us. But it's dangerous when we just do it the way we've done it all the time without thinking about the fact that there's a multitude and a myriad of people of all different faith backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities and languages that need to hear about the life-changing news of the gospel that won't really connect with songs that we grew up with. 
They don't have an experience of going to camp and hearing that song and going, oh, I love this one. It's all new to them. So part of our responsibility is to prayerfully ask God, how do we translate this good news into a language that is understandable to the people who live around us? How do we take on flesh, the flesh of the culture around us, not to live in a worldly way, but to live as the people that we're neighbors with, to love them so that they can somehow see Jesus in our lives? And sometimes that means being willing to take off or to put off those things that we really like in order that we might introduce someone not to the things that we like, but to the God who loves us, the Savior Jesus. And that's a complicated process, isn't it? And that's not one thing that we can do perfectly, but it's one thing that Jesus is calling us to do because he wants his house to be a house of all nations. And look what he says in verse 22. He says, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I mean, this is an astonishing thing that Jesus is saying. And so evidently, he's walking around someplace near a mountain, and he gives this, this reference. And he says, if you pray that that mountain will be moved into the sea, it will be done. Now, is it possible for Jesus to literally move a mountain into the sea? I believe that it is. He could probably do it in an instant, uh, an instant through an earthquake, but he can do it over time through erosion. It's possible. But is Jesus actually saying, what I want you to do is to have a prayer meeting about putting all the mountains into the sea? I don't think so. He's just giving us this like hyperbolic statement to, to kind of reshape and to reform what we think is actually going on when we're praying. Right? As important as the little list of things that we pray for, the laundry list, like keep me safe on the way to work and bless this food, those things are important. It's just the regular rhythm of small prayers that, that helps us to continue to grow. Jesus is also saying, what are the God-sized prayers? What are the massive things that are going on either in your own life or in this world that only God can affect and change? What are those things? What are the broken-hearted uh, results of the culture that we live in that only God can fix? And he's saying, by faith, if you believe and you ask for what God desires and what he wants, Jesus can answer those prayers. And so what are those prayer requests? What are those things that only God can do in your life? And here's a question for you as we've we're finishing this sermon series. Right? My hope is that you've prayed more and that you found that to be more valuable. I don't know anyone who goes, you know, I just spend too much time praying. It's not worth it. Right? I know plenty of people that say, I watched another show and it was a waste of time. But most people don't say, I really got down on my knees and earnestly prayed and studied God's word and I just... Now, there doesn't mean that it's not difficult sometimes. My hope is that you've been encouraged in prayer and that you're praying more. And this is not about like, did you do one more minute this week than last week? But as we increase our minutes, then we realize the flow of prayer is all over us. But what are those God-sized prayers? What are the relational uh, challenges that you face 
in your life and in your family and in your context that seem intractable. They seem completely stuck and broken and that there's no way this solution, there's a solution to be found. Have you been praying that God would bring healing? Is there some hurt that you've experienced in your life? Some way that someone harmed you that you've been hanging on to and you're still hanging on to it? Ask God, Lord, I know that you're the one who can't allow me to forgive. That doesn't mean the person is not held accountable for their actions, but I need to forgive this person who hurt me. Maybe you've done something and you know, or you're engaged in some activity and you just can't break free and you need the Lord to heal you. You need to experience that forgiveness. Have you really been asking, Lord, help me to understand and know the forgiveness that you've given to me through the person of Jesus Christ? I don't want to hold this anymore. And Lord, you've promised to forgive. Allow me to experience that forgiveness. Because the only God is the one who can do that. And those are things that are focused on us and that are part of our own sphere, and those are important. But what about the injustice of the culture in which we live? What about the bitterness and the division and the hardship that we just feels like, well, I don't really even know if God can even do something about that. And Jesus says, look, I can move this mountain into the sea if my people would but pray. If they would pray, then I will move. But have we been praying? Have we been asking God, Lord, please do this. We're desperate for you. You know, often in life, we'll experience something really hard. Maybe it's a, ba a bad diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job. And then we begin to pray. And as bad as those things are, it's good for us to pray in those moments. But isn't it better when things are just kind of going along in a decent way that we actually begin to say, Lord, we want to see something miraculous, something amazing, something glorious happen in our city. You know, as we were praying about Sea Isle in the start of the new school year, I just thought, I hope we don't have another school shooting. It's crazy to think that we have to think about what do we do if there's an active shooter situation in a school? But we do. And are there policy adjustments that we can make to affect that? Absolutely. But the people of God can pray. And what happens when we pray? That our hearts change. Our hearts move us to those places of, of danger, of hardship. And they move us to, to help and to serve. God changes us in and through prayer. So the question this morning is, what's that prayer that only God can accomplish in your life? What's that prayer? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.